This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The single father with two children is terrified and stalked by an oppressive fear of death, which leads to rock bottom, loneliness, and bankruptcy. Despite his best efforts, arguments, and logic, he cannot keep up with the competition. Fearlessly embracing the new way forward, he opens his heart and reaches out for a lifeline. With sincerity and earnestness, John David Latta shares his extraordinary stories of what happened when he gave himself to unconditional love. As he tells his story, he inspires, uplifts, heals, shocks, awakens, and transforms. The seeds of potential hold the key to changing your habits, beliefs, and deepest assumptions about what is possible and have the power to completely change the way you live. Valeria interviews John David Latta. He is the author of The Synchronicity of Love, Stories that heal, transform, and awaken. John David Latta is also a mystic teacher and former founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar consumer products company. He shares intimate and personal stories and teaches workshops on leadership, healing, transformation, awakening, love, synchronicity, and wisdom that unite and expand human experience. He lives with his wife, Wendy, in Redmond, Washington. Meet John at johndavidlatta.com. Here's the interview with John David Latta. In your own words, who is John David Latta? <laughs> That's a great question. How much time do you have, Valeria? Uh, right. Is it Valeria? Am I pronouncing yes. your name right? Yes, Valeria? yes, yes. Um, well, I let's see. I'm a guy. I'm 64 years old. I'm living in Redmond, Washington, just outside of Seattle. Um, in a nutshell, uh, probably was very, or I wasn't probably very competitive, very logical, very rational, very much in uh, operated around clock time uh, for the first half of my life. And I think I've been learning and integrating all of the opposites of that ever since. I'm learning to slow down, learning to appreciate timelessness, uh, learning to appreciate a sense of feeling in everything that I do. Uh, it's funny, I shared with my wife this morning a dream I had where I was playing basketball, but we were <laughs> playing with what were looked like tiny little beach balls, and they were very <laughs> light. And I was like, boy, this game doesn't work unless you have a lot of subtlety and sensitivity. Mm. <laughs> And so yes. I think that's been my journey as well, is into what I would call greater and greater subtlety and sensitivity. Um, I'm an author and a teacher, and I would say about 20 years ago, 
what I would call the realm of dream and vision opened up to me. And I get a lot of, uh, really, I cherish my dreams, visions, and voices that speak to me. Um, and, uh, I, and I absolutely cherish that part of my life right now. Wow. That all sounds so wonderful to me. And I have to ask you this question. How did you become the John that I'm speaking with? today. <laughs> oh, how did you uncover him? <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Like everybody else, I had to go through a lot of pain first. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a big yeah. one. So, and that was really my book, The Synchronicity of Love. And that really is uh, where the book begins is when my uh, very one-sided but kind of charmed life ended and a whole new life began. And it ended with uh, divorce, uh, starting my own company, losing all my money, suddenly finding myself um, a dad with custody of my two young children, ages nine and 11. And so I was kind of mom and dad at the same time. And, um, and then underneath it all, I had this terrifying fear of death that was stalking me everywhere. And since I'd been so logical and rational and hadn't really paid much attention growing up to, you know, uh, Catholic church tradition that I grew up in, I didn't really have a foundation to fall back on about what happens when you die. And so I was afraid to even talk to anybody about it. So, um, yeah, and without knowing it, I was going through a gigantic spiritual transformation. And I would have thought I was the last person on earth to go through something like that. Mm, wow. So you, when I asked that question, you mentioned suffering has been, I say, of course, almost like not in a, <laughs> I wish I, I didn't say that. But yeah, of course, I, that was also the catalyst uh, for me becoming open up to my heart and becoming softer in a way. So how do you make sense of suffering in the sense of, do we come here with all these lessons to learn and we have to go through suffering? Or there's more to it, John? I don't think we have to go through suffering. Uh, you know, there is an old saying that, Pain is probably inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And of course, I didn't know that at the time. And um, so, but I do think we incarnate with certain lessons that we want to learn, certain experiences that we want to have. And certainly sometimes they're very difficult and very painful. Um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, some of that pain, some of that suffering, um, you know, some people are able to move through it fairly quickly. It's not like they don't experience it. They still feel it. And uh, in my experience, in my understanding, um, what you would call an old soul, somebody that's had many, 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 many lifetimes, is able to move through the pain and suffering quicker. Not that it's a race, because it isn't. Um, but it's amazing to me how some people can experience a little bit of pain and it just stays with them the rest of their life. And other people can experience a lot of pain and, and you know, who knows? It could be a day, a month, a year, 10 years later, they've moved through it and they've moved on. And so, um, but there's no doubt that pain and suffering are the basis for my and probably most people's transformation. In fact, you know, I wrote a chapter in my book, a couple of chapters about this, because I was devoutly anti-spiritual, anti-religious for so many years. And um, and I used to say, oh, people don't change. And <laughs> yes. boy, was I wrong about that. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> oh, let's see. I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, yeah. In there your was, book, you're saying in your book that you wrote something. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, what was going on with me at that time in my life was that I was reading a book that I really liked by Michael Crichton, who's a really world famous author. It's written, I don't know, 10 or 20 best-selling books made into TV and movie. And, um, and um, let's see what I, what I wanted to say was I was reading his book and in his book was a lot of, were a lot of spiritual experiences he'd had. And I was very intrigued by those, although I would never admit that to anybody else. So on some level, I think I already knew it's time for me to like what you said, open my heart, open my mind. I didn't realize how much many walls I'd kind of built around my belief system. And I don't think I had to go through pain and suffering uh, but I, I did at that stage in my life. And, but if I were really following my muse, so to speak, following my heart, I probably would have signed up for a spiritual workshop and gone and sat with some teachers, but I, my ego was so entrenched and so proud that I didn't. So I think that's what I want to tell people is, you know, there are so many stories of people that, you know, they get cancer and suddenly they make radical life changes, changes they wanted to make all along, but were afraid to. And then their life is better, different, happier, and the cancer goes away. And so I think I want to encourage people, like, just like you and I talked about a little bit off the air, it's good to follow your heart. It's good to follow your intuition. It's good to see where it leads you. Because if you don't, I think sometimes life is going to deliver you something really hard and really painful, mm-hmm. and it's going to force you to make the change. Yes. Anyway, so true. It has been my experience, too. <laughs> you mentioned something, well, something came to me. So reincarnation, this idea that mind continuation was something that remains, some imprints of, of this lifetime will remain and, and then we come back. Is that a choice? We Are we making this choice to come back and go through all this suffering again in order to learn something? And that's one question. And then what would freedom look like, John? <laughs> Yes, the best questions. Um, so yes, I do believe it's a choice from the start. Um, and but my understanding is um, the souls that incarnate on Earth today are coming from all over the cosmos. And so uh, we, you know, if you've heard the term star seed or yes. light worker, these tend to be what we call older souls that have had other embodied existences in other places throughout the cosmos, not just human being, not just here on earth. And, um, and so, yes, there was a choice that we made. My understanding today, earth is going through this huge ascension process. So you might say old souls from all over the cosmos are incarnating as human beings to help raise the vibration of the planet. Um, but it's not easy taking a high-vibing old soul being and plopping him into, yeah. you know, density uh-huh. in a human body. Yeah. And so sometimes uh-huh. I think, um, again, this is just my understanding, um, we get trapped in karma. And, uh, you know, we come in to learn lessons and we kind of screw things up and we, uh-huh. we more or less have to come back. And we have to come back again and again. So um, that's my understanding. Yes, absolutely a choice at the beginning, but the way karma works on this planet, um, I think once we start, uh, we might have to just see it through to the very end, and that might take many lifetimes. And I can't tell you what that number is, one or five or 10 or 100. Um, And so what's freedom, true freedom? 
I think true freedom is just surrender in every single moment. Surrender, mm. even when you're in pain, mm. even when you're suffering. Mm. Um, you know, it might look like not resisting things that we ordinarily would resist. So I do think freedom is available to us in every single moment, but we just forget it. Ah, wow, I love that answer. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it resonates <laughs> true to me. And then what I wonder is if we, all of us, not just embodied ones, but also the, the ones without body in different dimensions or mm-hmm. cosmos, I wonder if they, if we had this understanding, perhaps we wouldn't have to keep coming back here to help one another, you know, that because we would realize that there's just God, there's just source, there's yeah. just what one reality, not two. Yeah. Maybe because we keep kind of this, we just so identified with this duality, the idea of the other, of something else other than God. I use the word God just as, because I, I used to have a lot of, it was loaded for me because I, I came from religious background. But mm-hmm. now I'm a lot more free when it comes to that too. So I use the word God as right. in unconditional love, the same as unconditional love or pure yeah. consciousness, the infinite. So <clears throat> yes, I really believe that, John, that if when we come to that understanding, that deeper understanding, without any doubts, then we wouldn't have to come back here, none of us in the, the, yeah. this reality. Or we wouldn't become physical anymore because there's no need for it. I do think that, you know, um, I, there's a woman, uh, I'm trying to think around Judith Orloff and she's written a bunch of books and she talked about her mother was a very wealthy, her mother and father both were wealthy, uh, doctors, physicians, socialites living in Beverly Hills in California. And they loved being socialites. And, when her mother passed away, she came back and spoke to her a few times and was yeah. just like, I miss being a socialite. I miss <laughs> being a human being. Uh, and so, you know, for all the pain mm, and suffering we have, mm, you know, there are experiences that we have as a human being that are also beautiful and amazing. And we can't have uh, when we're not embodied. Mm, and so mm. why well, I, I got to believe there's a, a little bit of, <laughs> you know, I think there are some people like, I had a good time. I want to go back. So Yes, right. I have heard that too. Some of my guests years back, that not these days for some reason, but yeah, I used to hear that. For some reason, that changed, evolved, where I it's not too disowned this reality, the relative reality. But there is something about the absolute reality that it really, it's what attracts me the most these days. Yeah, because it would break my heart not to be compassionate. I, would, I mean, I could never not be that way. So it has to be integrated, of course. But yeah, I can't help it. But just think about the idea of coming back here and you know, this being fun. I guess ignorance is fun in a sense of ignoring what is true, right? <laughs> the, the true, yeah. the absolute. It's fun. Yeah, we can yeah. get taste, you know, in all that dance. <laughs> But I don't know. I don't know if I would want to experience that without the suffering that it comes with. Yeah. So do you want to make a comment about that? Yeah, (laughs) well, you know, this is my understanding, and there are some authors that have written books on this. um, But, uh, and this is a general rule, of course, that when we incarnate as a human being, we have to move through uh, multiple levels of consciousness, of which, by the way, compassion and unconditional love are probably two of the highest. And, um, but we, we, and, you know, 
as a human being, we all experience both the highs and lows, but there's still sort of a, a settling point where we find ourselves most of the time. And, and so I'm going to give you an example of, and there are many what they call maps of consciousness, but to incarnate as a human being uh, means moving through the lowest levels and up to the higher levels, and then you're done. And two of the one way to look at two of the lowest levels, and you will see this pain all around on planet Earth today, are the first one is what they call the tribal level, where you're not even really identifying as um, an individual. You identify with your family mm. or your church yeah. or your sports team or your right. city, you know, right. and, and it's and and then yeah. that's really kind of the beginning. And then the next level up is you start to break away from your tribe. So it might be like, you know, maybe you were very involved in a particular church and you suddenly feel like this doesn't fit for anymore, me anymore. And you want to break away from that. And how that manifests sometimes is people turn around and try to manipulate the people in the, in the tribe. And so you can see this all around the world today. There are a lot of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, there's a lot of sheep and there's a lot of wealthy, powerful, influential people in media uh, that manipulate the sheep. And and that's not a that's not a I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying these are the two most common levels of consciousness on earth today. And then you might say we move through increasingly uh, more and more positive levels as we go through all the experiences we have and all the lifetimes we have. Until we start to feel like all we really want to do and be is compassion and unconditional love. And, and but even that isn't the last step. The last step is start hard to even, it's something I don't think you can even put into words, but it's probably what feels like, um, you know, oneness, uh, unity. And uh, it's a difficult thing to put into words. So if what is calling you and what draws you is compassion and unconditional love, and it feels like it's something that flows through you naturally and easily, you're probably an old soul. And you've probably done this many, many, many times. And this is probably for the rest of your life, how you give back. Because I think we come in, we incarnate with karma, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that we came in to learn a lesson. And then the old souls, you might say in the second half of their life, uh, move from, I think they call it karma to dharma, and they move into service and they want to give back. And even this podcast that you host right now might mm. be an example of that. Mm. Yes, it feels that way, right? Yeah. It's a, a calling from the soul, right? Because yeah. I always felt like having this deep connection with human beings, but I was not able to do it within my family and all, and I had to just yeah. kind of step away from all of that. That's a fascinating journey, right, John, when we think about it from that big picture. Yeah. Going through all these stages and learning. And um, I guess I'm just very interested in freedom. <laughs> like, what, what <laughs> is freedom? That unity. I want to get there. <laughs> I got to be careful just wanting too much, I guess. This is a longing thing. So it's all about trying to experience that with within this life still, with the body. I, I don't know. I have heard that's possible. I'm a student of Advaita Vedanta, non-duality. So it's very much possible according to them. So, um, Yeah, I don't think you would be drawn to love, compassion, and, and Advaita Vedanta and non-duality. Huh. Yeah, I, I think the average person could care less about that. So, <laughs> oh my God, tell me about it. I had so many people just turn their eyes, kind of yeah. roll their eyes, and just kind of not. My my husband, he's, he's funny. 
Well, I find it funny, but it's um, the truth is not really because deep inside, I wish everyone would be open to it, their own to find their own nature, to to kind of return to it, really, to our own limitless. I walked into a Advaita Vedanta temple um, in the hills above Santa Barbara one time, and most people don't know it's there, and it's just set amongst these beautiful oak trees with a view of the ocean. The difference. I walked in, and it was so peaceful in uh, there. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes, yeah, yeah that's a, yeah. the experience I have. Yeah, around yeah. those monks. So your book. I forgot to mention earlier, you did, but I didn't. Though the yeah. synchronicity of love, stories yeah. that heal, transform, and awaken. But you also mm-hmm. have a, a new book coming up, right, John? Something right. True, which was inspired by the sacred circles that you host. So talk to me about all that. So for over, gosh, I'm trying to think how long it's been. It's been about a decade. I've been hosting circles in my home that I call Something True. And... um I used to do men's work. I think I did it for almost 10 years. And it's kind of an offshoot of that. And what we would do is get, you know, and say approximately 20 people. I've had as many as 40 and as few as maybe 15, but probably 20 to 25 is the average size. We sit in a circle. Uh, we introduce ourselves, and I create a space of uh, in the heart center of unconditional love. And um, very important to kind of create that space. And then we go around one or two or three rounds, and we have people just check in. And it would be, tell us what's going on in your life right now. And if it's horrible and you want to share it, great. If it's wonderful and you want to share it, great. All I ask is that it be true for you. Take your mask off. Be authentic. Be honest. You know, if life is terrible right now, be honest about it. You know, if life is wonderful, be honest about it. And so in a way, it's probably a little bit of offshoot of my Catholic upbringing. In a way, it's like a confession, but it's also teaching people two things, how to speak honestly and authentically from their heart. It's so common to want to wear a mask out in the world and feel like you have to. I think a lot of people don't even know what it feels like to be in touch with their authentic self. And two, trying to teach people to just listen with love and compassion and not try and save the other person or fix them or tell them they're wrong or criticize them or change their point of view. And so, um, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. And, um, and I, I think I've hosted, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 of them probably over the last decade. Yes. It it really sounds like it when I read about it, like, Oh my God, I wish you're close to me. (laughs) I'll be there for sure. (laughs) That's, that sounds like fun. Connecting yeah. in a deeper way. So is that, do you find it to be healing? So I guess the question is, what's healing to you? And what are the obstacles to healing, John? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you my, this is just my personal opinion on what healing is. So here's what happens in life. Something happens, and I'm, I'm going to use, you know, and I think almost everybody to some degree has experienced abuse, abandonment, abandonment, violence, uh, to some degree, you know, something terrible. And um, But I like to use kind of a silly example. If you're four years old and you walk down the street and a big black dog attacks you and, you know, maybe um, disfigures you a little bit or, you know, bites your hand terribly, you end up in the hospital, it's possible that you might spend the rest of your life afraid of dogs or afraid of big black dogs. You might turn you into a cat person. (laughs) You might create a Facebook page that's (laughs) anti-dog and that everybody (laughs) needs to lock up their dogs. Uh, And so 
And this is kind of how the human journey works is little things happen to us along the way that we tend to go whatever the opposite of that is and takes us down a path. And so what healing is, is bringing in the other side later in life. And so the other side might be later in life when you are hopefully, you know, a little older, more mature and wiser, you might look around and go, you know, there's a lot of people that have dogs and, you know, that they have little kids and the dogs lick the little kids' faces and they're not afraid of dogs. Why am I the only person terrified of dogs? And so healing is, instead of going down path of limitation, which would be dogs are horrible, dogs are evil, dogs can't be trusted. Now it's like, well, that's actually not true. Dogs, a lot of dogs are lovely and, you know, man's best friend and, and they're not uh, vicious. And so, <clears throat> and so that's how I see healing. And that can apply to anything. You know, if you were molested or abused or abandoned and it took you down a path of, you know, and then later it's like, okay, now I'm going to open, you know, maybe I wasn't abandoned. Maybe I don't have to see my life that way. Maybe I was molested, but I'm not being molested anymore. And so that it's, it's a hard thing to put into words, but what I would call the wound, the pain, the trauma, the suffering takes you down one path. The healing is opening to the other path, the path that's not taken. And so, in, and moving into what I would call wholeness then. Mm. Yes, that really resonates with me, right? But that takes being open, isn't it? I, I find that some people or perhaps even parts of us are not ready yet, kind of let themselves go or be seen. Well, I'm around a lot of psychologists too, and then they talk a lot about the mind and how it works. And also Vedanta, the way they explained, I mean, there's the realm of the mind and then there is pure consciousness. And consciousness yeah. is different than mind. So I try to focus more on consciousness than mind, but I know that we are being formed by the mind. We are just driven by it, its content all the time, consciously or unconsciously. So I prefer yeah. the idea of becoming conscious of what is unconscious, but it's not an easy work to do. From my own experience, it's not, it has been a very interesting experience, actually. Not easy, but yeah. interesting. <laughs> I know, I totally agree with you. In fact, the newest book that I'm working on now is called Cleaning Up the Consciousness of Man. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> and, yeah, we um, need it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, um, his name was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Yes. He was kind of like the yogi to the Beatles. And yes. he has this wonderful quote. You can look it up online. I'm not going to get it exactly right. He would say, fulfillment is structured in action. Action is structured in knowledge, but knowledge is structured in consciousness. Mm, and yes. so like your yeah. psychologists talk a lot about the mind, but if you want to know what's behind the mind, it's mm, consciousness. Yes. And, um, and so, and if you want to change anything in the world, it actually begins with changing consciousness. And you're right. It's a difficult thing because most of us, most of the time, our sleep. <laughs> most of us, most of the time are not conscious, but I think that's what's going on on the planet right now is we're all waking up. A lot of people who are very conscious are waking up um, and, and there's more and more consciousness on the planet. And, and I think that that's why no matter how much pain and suffering is out there, statistically speaking, in so many ways, the world's getting better. And I think it's because consciousness is rising, growing, and expanding. And it might be like it's happening way too dang slow, but it is happening. Mm. 
Yes, I feel that way too. It's almost yeah. like it's a time where consciousness wants to return to itself. It's it's kind yeah. of right looking, trying to find itself because it has yeah. been hypnotized and identified <laughs> with objects, with the experience and have lost itself. But the interesting thing is that everything is consciousness or everything is in consciousness. Yeah. So how amazing that we actually become very unaware of that. And of course, for me, has been like a, a, this incredible experience, which is, it is still an experience. And that's why I can't really, I mean, we can't really describe what it's like to, to see the pure self because it's, it can, it's undescribable. It's not a yeah. thing, right? We can't describe it because it's not an object. <laughs> it's not an object of experience. So the mind yeah. doesn't know what to do with it, but we know it's here and it's, we can feel it. Yeah. So talk to me about making peace with death. That caught my attention too. <laughs> yeah. one of the, I know you really, mentioned earlier, briefly. <laughs> so um, I had mentioned uh, just when everything in my life was about to totally fall apart, was beginning to fall apart, suddenly I found myself terrified of death. And I kind of associated me with my body and mind. And I thought, well, when the body and mind go, then I go and that's it over forever. And that, that sense of forever and oblivion was terrifying to me. So a few years goes by and I join uh, a year round spiritual study group. Um, I was led by Dr. William Brew Joy and he just basically taught unconditional love in the heart center over and over and over again. That's what he taught. And so it was 11 months into that program in the month of November. And he goes, for the month of November, we're going to greet and embrace the mystery of death. And instead of running away from it, like most people do, or ignoring it, we're going to run towards it. And he goes, I want you to meditate on death. I want you to pray on death. I want you to read books on death. I want you to listen to music on death. Do the very thing that most people don't do and run towards it. And so I did. And right out of the gate, I had like profound meditations. And I, I was like, okay, bring it on. I'm not going to run away mm -hmm. from this thing I'm afraid of. I'm going to turn around and face it. Mm -hmm. And the first profound meditation was a woman shows up in my meditation and says, before you know about death, first you need to know about life. And so and I get taken to this beautiful home. And inside, I see the strangest scene. I see Jesus and Hercules, and they are uh, like Siamese twins, or I guess they call them conjoined twins now. They're connected from the waist down. And Hercules is all muscle and sweat, and, and he's struggling, and he's struggling. And Jesus is just this perfectly vertical pillar, like he's not moving at all. And suddenly Hercules turns around and realizes he's connected to Jesus, and, and they embrace each other as brothers. And so I think what I was looking at is kind of the what feels like the duality between our divinity, you know, you might call it our soul, and our human self, you know, the body, the body mind. And <clears throat> so it's like, okay, that was cool. Next day I go into meditation. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to learn more about death. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now we're going to teach you about death. Okay, so hang on. I have a lot of rich dreams. So here's okay. what happened. I'm, it feels like October. Um, it's dark out. Uh, there's a full moon on the horizon. And I'm walking through what feels like a farmer's field. And he's already harvest, harvested everything for the year. So the, the field is, everything's been harvested. But in front of me is this really terrifying scarecrow. 
and he looks like instead of a, you know, um, it looked like a, an actual human being up on a, on a post and it was rotting and decaying. So it looked like a real half decayed human being slash skeleton up there, scary looking. And it was like 10 feet tall and it was just daring me to come towards it. But I did. And as soon as I walked past it, the moon, which was low on the horizon, came towards me and we fused and became one. And we flowed as a river of liquid mercury. If you've ever seen what mercury looks like in liquid, it's got a really strange sort of quality. We ran across the edge of the earth, and as if the earth were flat, it dripped off into deepest, darkest space, and there was just infinite nothingness for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, poof, I'm transformed into this. If you've seen groups of skydivers when they jump from a plane and they hold each other by their wrists and ankles like a big human chain— what I saw was this huge golden grid made of light, beautiful geometry all around planet Earth. And it was made both of light and people. And it was like millions of people in this, you know, hold, like skydivers holding each other by ankles and wrists in this beautiful grid made of light. And it was the strangest thing. I was both uh, an individual part of the, the chain of people, but I was also a collective. I was just part of a whole. You might say I was just light. I was just part of the light. So I was both an individual and kind of one with all these other people. And the weird thing is I could hear people on earth speaking, asking questions, sending out prayers. <laughs> so it was almost, I felt like I was this source of, you might call it the self, the source of wisdom. And I was answering people's questions both individually and collectively. And so what I understood about that is even when the body goes away, there's still an essence of me that exists and goes on, and it's connected to some greater uh, field of light, you might say. <clears throat> and so I read a bunch of books, and there's a jillion videos on YouTube about near-death experiences. And all I know, by the end of the month, I, I have not had one ounce of fear about death ever again. I'm just It's just gone. And, uh, and I tell people all the time, you know, they tell people all the time, you know, face your fears. And it's like, wow, yeah. really, it really worked for me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, I That's... think sometimes if you're ready and you're really terrified of something to turn around and face it is the only way you can move through it. It's true. Yes. Yeah. It has been my experience too. Yeah. At different levels. Right. Yeah. I love that because <clears throat> it makes me think about the teachings of Vedanta again that yeah. what we call me, the I, it's God, it's actually God. So every yeah. time we say, I do this and I did, that's all God speaking. Yeah. It's, and I know a lot of people, they're afraid of that even to say, I am God. Most people, they run from, I mean, they would just, I have said that to some people here in my family members too. Uh, I had all kinds of different, oh, some of them just kind of left the room and just walked away. It terrified, <laughs> terrified. I am God. <laughs> no, can be. I have to tell you a funny story. Yes. So I, yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that with me because yeah. for 20 years, <laughs> I think one of my lessons has been learning to listen to my intuition and when to say something to people and when to shut <laughs> yeah. up. Right. And I've got oh, a good yeah. friend uh, <laughs> named Ann Tucker who's a trans channel and she channels the angelic realm. 
And um, but she came from the corporate world, hardworking business person, um, very left brain, masculine. And then she also went through this gigantic transformation. She goes, I looked around one day and realized I didn't have any friends. Mm -hmm, And she goes, I tried to reach out to all my old friends and none of them got back to me. (laughs) And so and so um, (laughs) she went to a meetup group where she did a talk and she talked about what she was doing now. And she was a completely different person. And the people that meet our group didn't know her. And and everything in her life changed after that. In fact, she said her best friends today are still a lot of those people that were at that first meetup group meeting. And so the thing you're describing is a really difficult but very common thing where people come in, they incarnate as a human being, they're essentially asleep, they're not awake, and and they go about living their karma, you know, painful, suffering, blah, blah, blah. And then somewhere along the line, could be in their 20s, could be in their 60s, they wake up and it's different and they're a different person. And, and that's one of the more painful parts of transformation is a lot of the things you like to do, your old hobbies, your old friends, they go away. And uh, I remember Ram Das saying, uh, it was really funny, he said that, uh, he goes, one day you look around and, you know, and all your friends still want to go bowling and you don't want to go bowling anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. We lose. It's a different perception. We see yeah. this reality very different. I guess, how do you integrate that? I guess that was one of the guided questions that I, it caught my attention. How do you navigate the spiritual transformation while living an everyday life? That was the, the guided uh, suggested yeah. topic, actually. <clears throat> and that's great because that's really what my life has been about. I mean, there was no running to the monastery or the woods or the ashram or anything. I was like, you know, you might be familiar with this a little bit, but I went through a whole Kundalini awakening yes. and I didn't even know what the word meant. And boy, my life got really crazy yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. And yet I still got little kids that I'm coaching their ball uh, teams and, uh, hey, do you have homework and packing their lunches? Yes, wow. <laughs> it was surreal. Like, I remember coming home from work early and just taking a nap and having these profound visions with goddesses. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God. And then the doorbell rings. Okay, yeah. mommy or daddy, I just got the school bus, you know. Yes. And so how do you navigate it? Oh, man, it was with great difficulty. Now when I look back, I made it more difficult than it had to be. And I think because I was so rigidly rational for so long, I was having a lot of what seemed like transrational uh, experiences. And and frankly, they scared me. I mean, they were they were exciting because I liked what I was going through, but I kept being afraid. And I I owned my own company, and it was a multi million dollar company. And I got my two little kids, and I was afraid I was going to turn, not be able to function in the world. But you know what? Now looking back, whatever it is that suddenly comes through and transforms you. Um, it has a wisdom of its own. And and that's what I try mm-hmm. to tell people is uh, it may push you to the brink, but it won't push you over the edge. And, and, you know, there were times that I had to say whatever it was, like no energy and no dreams tonight. I need to sleep. Yes. <laughs> Please leave me alone. Yeah. And it would for a day or two. And then it would come back when I felt more rested. Okay, we're not <laughs> done yet, John. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and my so, God. I had a lovely experience. I felt so grateful uh, early on in the journey. I walked into a spiritual bookstore and bought a couple of books by an author I liked. And as I was paying for the books, the lady says, oh, these are great books. 
uh, would you like him to sign them? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And she goes, the author, he's here. And I look around and there's this short kind of grandfatherly looking man and his name is David Spangler. And he just had got done teaching a workshop and, he, and she goes, David, come on up here. And so one of the books I bought was called Parent as Mystic, Mystic as Parent. And David had been a spiritual teacher his whole life. Unbeknownst to me, he lived only 20 minutes away from me. And uh, and he was married and had four kids. So he knew all about what I was going through. And so I was so grateful. It's like, okay, I can do this. And so I want to say to all of you out there that are going through some kind of big transformation, and it's difficult at work, with friends, maybe church you are part of or anything, just hang in there. On some deep level, I believe you're being supported, and it might be painful. Um, but everybody goes through that. I remember having employees that would say, I'm going to quit drinking or I'm going to quit smoking weed. And, and they did, but then they realized that all of their life and their friendships had been built up around drinking and getting high. And when they couldn't do that anymore, it was then came the real painful part. They were going to have to find new friends. So it's not just people on a spiritual journey. I think anybody that's going through some kind of deep transformation or change uh, experiences that pain. That's true. That's interesting that you actually call it pain yeah. because it is, yeah, I'm trying to think about that now. Did Maybe I, loneliness is a better word. Uh, yes, yeah. I felt that way, right. Yeah. No one else to share yeah. discoveries, the uncoverings, and yeah. then I start talking to to anyone and they are not ready to to hear those things. So now I know not to do that anymore, but I think I still do it. <laughs> I, uh, I think I still do it to some people around me. I can't help it, John, but that's why I host this podcast. I can't really yeah. have small conversations. So I hear you, but I, yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm sure you're figuring it out and believe yes. me, I've, I've got a big mouth, so I got myself in trouble more times than I care to admit. But I, um, I think, you know, if you're quiet and still, your intuition will tell you this is something you can share with somebody and it's going to land for them and they're going to hear it. You know, I, I uh, Dougal Frazier is a, a famous psychic and um, he was teaching once that, you know, psychics read the other person, but the other person uh, frequently has big walls built up around them. And so a psychic will sometimes try and do whatever they can to get the other person to kind of warm up and open up a little bit because mm -hmm. the psychic can read them a lot better that way. Yes. And so um. he would teach people that want to be a psychic or want to be intuitive. The very first thing you should do is check in with your intuition and ask is this a person that's going to be able to hear what I have to say? And so I applaud you doing a podcast in any way that you want to teach or get the world, you know, the message out. But just trust that the right people are going to come to your show. Mm, yeah, and and yeah. the, the people that aren't meant to get what you have yes. to share, your intuition will tell you, you know, don't talk to this person or maybe just share a little bit, just a little tidbit, you know, <laughs> yes. but don't overwhelm them because they're going to either get angry or just leave. Mm, yes, it has yeah. happened before. Do you talk to your children? Do you actually, are they open to it somehow? <laughs> I'm just curious to know. So uh, my daughter is probably a far more ancient soul than <laughs> I am. So it's really easy with her. In fact, I think she's way beyond me. Yeah. Uh. Um, and she really is. And uh, But my son has a ways to go. So I, I kind of have to dance around it with my son. I don't hide who I am or the book 
that I wrote or the books that I'm writing or what I post on my website or social media or anything. But, you know, no, I think we just probably talk more about kind of the here and now. How's work going? And, you know, and did you go fishing last Saturday? And did you catch anything? You know, that kind of thing. So, um, but I, you know, I trust that the day will come where he might open the door. Uh, and, and so I just, and again, I have screwed this up many times, Valeria. <laughs> yes, tell me about it. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> ah, tell me about it, John. So I, I'm learning oh, to yes. listen to my intuition rather than just <laughs> open my mouth. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a, that's a big one. I mean, yeah. it's called, a, it's called wisdom for a reason. Yeah. Um, right. Being it's there. Quiet. We just have to check in with it, you know. So is that is not a is that a coincidence that uh, your daughter is more open and you feel like that she's it's more let's say evolved than your son, or this is a female male female thing? The gender even gets in the way. The embodied I, um, gender. Yeah, I don't know. I I. I knew before I even started to awaken, you might say, back when I was a, a normal person, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something special about her because she would, little things would happen. Like she'd be like six years old and riding the school bus and say, hey, daddy, you know how every day the school bus comes to the end of our street and it turns around this way? Well, today on the way home, I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if it went this way? And mm. it did. Mm. And I said, yeah. wow, I think you're psychic. She goes, nope. I just know things, you know, uh, yes. so there were little signs yeah. of it. And, um, yeah. but she, she kind of, I don't know. She kind of, I almost don't like the term awaken, but she started awakening at a really young age and it was probably around 18 or 19. And I don't think that's how it is for most people. If they're destined to wake up at all, it's usually midlife, you know, thirties, forties, fifties. And so, and I, I met, a Russian woman who's unusually awake and unusually dialed in. And she just said, oh, John, you're an old soul, but your daughter's an ancient soul. Oh, so I was like, yeah. okay, my daughter's got about a thousand <laughs> lifetimes more than me. So. <laughs> but it's been great in a way. Um, yes. So we can very open-mindedly and open-heartedly mm. talk about anything. Yes, that sounds wonderful to me. Wow, I'm not a mother but having this experience, so that's another interesting experience to have to share, right, with yeah. somebody very close to you. Yeah. Those spiritual, this that spiritual knowledge. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, we're almost at the end, but I do yeah. want to um, also tap a little bit more into the topic of balancing balance between the masculine and the feminine qualities. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me about that and how do we we get to do that and what what does it look like again? That same question. Well. What it looks like for me was I was way overly developed on the masculine side. So even to this day, I think I'm learning to do the things that are probably quite natural for you, like being in that state of timelessness and flow. Yeah, and being still, late all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I was oh my God, very John. structured and very time bound. Um, but I was, um, you know, CEO of a company, and uh, I, I've been literally in management of one kind or another since the age of eighteen. And so from 18 to 60, I, all I did was um, put chaos into order and, and boss people around and tell them what to do. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but, you know, that was, it was a very structured masculine life. And so I'm learning all of the counterparts, you know, um, if we think of masculine as action and feminine as stillness, if we think of masculine as talking and feminine as listening, 
logic might be masculine, but intuition might be feminine. Um, feeling rather than thinking. I mean, there's a long list of opposites that we generally attribute to masculine and the opposite to feminine. And so, and then as far as the earth itself, a lot of people have talked about this, that the earth for thousands of years has been too masculine, you know, the patriarchy, you know, the masculine, and it's all changing. My understanding is this is where earth wants all of its inhabitants to go is to a nice balance between masculine and feminine. We're not going to go from all masculine to all feminine. We're here to bring what I would call a mature balance between the two. And um, and so that's my understanding because there's there's awesome benefits to both. And uh, and so, but I think most people come in kind of one-sided and are spending their life trying to learn the opposite of what's natural for them. Yes. True. I love that yeah. way you said that. Actually, I interviewed somebody about mature masculinity. So yeah. you said the mature balance between the feminine and the masculine. That's yeah. that's an interesting idea. That'll be an interesting title of a book as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I'm curious to know what would that look like, societies? How would we collectively kind of work together? How I'm trying to picture to visualize um what would that look like? Since the, you know, it's the very, very, like one of the last few pages of my book, that was my conclusion based on my experience is that a mature balance between masculine and feminine, not all feminine, not all masculine, but a nice balance. So let me give, let me give an example, uh, a few examples of what I would call the immature masculine, you know, out of control, arrogance, competitive, war, violence, judgment. And so we've seen all that in spades. But what would the mature masculine look like? Instead, it would be support, patience, cooperation, and responsibility. And so the immature feminine might look like this. Uh, manipulate, scarcity, victimhood, do it for me. And so the mature feminine would be about love, connection, wisdom, and pleasure, interestingly enough. And so... Um, and so we've all probably even experienced it ourselves, where we've been arrogant or judgmental or manipulative, or there's never enough, uh, or we play the victim. And so these are the things that we, I think, as a society, I hope and believe, we're starting to outgrow. And um, what a and beautiful vision! Yeah. That—that's my vision. So yeah, it's truly <clears throat> whether beautiful. it can happen in this lifetime or a hundred lifetimes, I don't know yet. <laughs> right, right, but yeah. you can see that you can actually yeah. describe that vision. I love that. I, I actually would love to have that on the podcast as an introduction, but I'll yeah. leave that aside for now. Thank yeah. you so much, John, for being you. It's such a a beautiful thing. I mean, the word I can't find another one. It's beautiful to see human beings getting to know themselves deeply and kind of awakening for their true nature the essence, which is here and there and everywhere. And that, I mean, life would look so much different as you described, even without thinking about the opposites, but thinking just from spiritual knowledge alone, knowing that we are interconnected, that the essence, the foundation of this reality is one. So that would change everything. That's what it keeps coming back to me as a message. What's there, yeah. it's here, it's everywhere. Yeah. How could I hurt anyone? 
Thank you so much, John, again, for this conversation, for what you're doing, for your presence in our shared reality, relative reality. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And I really appreciate the invitation. And before we say goodbye for today, I would like to ask you a final question and then a technical one. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Wow. Uh, let's see. Three experiences I wish everybody would have. Um, so first off, I would say some sort of transpersonal, transrational, you might call it spiritual experience, um, where they just get a glimpse of something greater. And there's a little quote from uh, the poet Rilke, uh, and there's a little snippet of it. It goes, some evening, uh, step out of your house, which you know so well, enormous space is near. And I think we tend to wall ourselves in with our beliefs, our opinions, our judgments, uh, our identities. And so what I would like uh, is for a little crack in that wall. You know, I like to describe it. We build a house made of bricks and to start taking some of the bricks out. And mm. yeah, <laughs> it's that. a good thing. Yes. Uh, so that would be, that would probably be the main one right there. Just, I would call it a glimpse of more. And, um, and Let's see. Um, let's see. Three experiences. I think that would probably be the main one. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a yeah. one in three, right? Just yeah. yeah. You see, that's how yeah. I tend to think, right, about the having that glimpse, right, of the absolute reality, right? That'll be it. Uh, yes. What a beautiful vision. Another one. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you and your books and your work and your, your gatherings? Yeah. Uh, my website is johndavidlatta.com. My last name is spelled L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. I have information about classes and workshops um, and a blog with a lot of interesting short stories. Um, and then uh, my book, The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken, uh, 119 short, true or mostly true stories um, and I wrote it that way on purpose because I like to read short stories before I go to sleep at night. It's a perfect book to just read a few short stories. Um, it's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and I found out recently Target and Walmart. Mm, how wonderful. I'll have the link, uh, the Amazon link, of course, of the okay. book and your website too on, your on the podcast notes. Thank you okay. so much again, John, for your presence. And we'll talk soon. Bye for Thank now. Thank you, Valeria. Thank you for listening. To learn more about John David Latta and his work, please visit johndavidlatta.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.